Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we're having an opportunity again today to learn a little bit more about some of the services across our state that are in place actually for training for our educators uh, that are looking to support those deaf and or hard of hearing learners in Nebraska. And so I'm really grateful to once again be joined by Darsha Pellin, who is the IDEA Director of Low Incidence with the Department of Education, uh, along with Julie Delka-Miller, who's the Associate Professor at UNO, and Ann Thomas, Assistant Professor of Practice and the Coordinator of the Deaf Education Graduate Program at UNL for this great conversation where we're going to dive into uh, just thinking through some of those educator supports and looking at that professional community really across our state. And so thank you, thank you, thank you around the horn to everyone for joining us for today's conversation. And Darsha, if you would be so kind as to start us off, uh, will you tell us a little bit about the backstory for this chat? Sure. Um, hi, Andrew. I am Darsha Pelland from the Nebraska Department of Education. And Andrew and I met back in February at a legislative day. And there we were talking about possibly having me come on as a teacher of the deaf and talking about working with deaf and hard of hearing students at the ESU 16 level. Um, since then, life has evolved. I now work for the Department of Education as the Director of Low Incidence. And I've wanted to expand our conversation and bring in more of my low incidence colleagues. And so we have a need for teachers of the deaf and hard of hearing, as well as interpreters across the state. And so I reached out to Andrew asking him if he could help us encourage high school students, teachers that are already teaching that maybe have an interest in deaf education, or students that are taking sign classes that are interested in interpreting, to actually start seeking out these programs and knowing that these programs are out there in our state. And man, we need to build our teachers and our interpreters. So thank you, Andrew, for having us. Yeah, and thank you for connecting us with both Julie and Anne. And so I'm going to let them take a moment to introduce themselves as a part of this teacher training programs that are in Nebraska. Uh, so Julie, would you please start us off? Yes. Hi, my name is Julie Delka Miller. I am an associate professor at University of Nebraska in Omaha. And I am responsible for the interpreter preparation program and also with our undergraduate deaf education majors. Well, and before we introduce Anne, I do want to ask you very briefly here, Julie, um, those are not the same things, right? In terms of the training, there's some overlap, but do you want to speak to that for a quick moment here from the top? Sure. Not so sure about a quick moment, but um, <laughs> at UNO, we have the undergraduate programs for deaf, hard of hearing. So we have ASL classes, ASL one through five, and students will often decide, well, they're going to use it in whatever major they're in. So they're going to just have that world language awareness. But when they are that interested, we can go into interpreting and that's an undergraduate degree where they learn the language first. It's a language acquisition. And then there's a whole series of the coursework of the brain work of working between languages and interpreting. And it's a huge shortage. We don't have enough interpreters in the schools or in the community. So there's a whole skill set different there. And then again, I have the undergraduate 
deaf education where they, they end up having to be dual majors. They have their undergraduate degree in either elementary education or secondary content with an additional endorsement for deaf hard of hearing, which has a whole other series of classes that at an undergrad level, they could, you know, they, they have enough for multiple degrees, I think. So. And so they would need then to potentially train upon graduation from your program, move to a program like what Anne is a part of at UNL. And so maybe this would be a great pivot for Anne to introduce herself and speak a little bit to that transition. Yeah. So I'll just clarify, Andrew, that if, if a student would get an undergraduate degree in deaf education from Julie, they wouldn't necessarily come to my program because they're already certified. However, it just depends on where they are going to work and if they need the full birth through 21 certification. So I do coordinate the graduate deaf education program where we certify teachers birth through 21 to serve that age range of students who are deaf or hard of hearing. So that's just one distinction um, that depending on their background, they may need some additional training to serve the full age range. And so they could come to my program for that. Additionally, um, students interested in our graduate program are often, you know, certified teachers who work in other areas. Many are work in the area of special education, but I also have general education teachers who contact our program because they're interested in making a switch to the field of deaf ed. And so as long as they already are certified, that that is a requirement in the state of Nebraska is that they currently hold a teaching certificate, they can add on our endorsement in deaf education to become a certified teacher of the deaf. Uh, excellent. And I breezed over there too, because we were talking so much about the, the programs and we speak a little bit also to your backstory in education. Yeah. So I'm a native of Lincoln, Nebraska, and um, I actually went to UNL for my undergraduate. My major was psychology, and um, initially it was philosophy as my minor. And then I had to take, at the time, it was a foreign language. Um, Now they're called world languages. And I got approval to take American Sign Language as my world language. It, It wasn't yet offered as a substitute for that, but I got special approval by our chair to take it. And um, after a year of taking American Sign Language, I really developed a a passion for it, an interest. I fell in love with it um, and began meeting individuals who are part of the deaf community and realized that that was definitely an area I was interested in and wanted to switch. But I I wasn't ready to let go of psychology, so I I went on to get American Sign Language as my world language and switched my minor to deaf education. And then from there, I went on to get a master's degree in deaf education to become a certified teacher of the deaf and hard of hearing. And I worked at both schools for the deaf, which are um, their schools primarily for students who are deaf or hard of hearing who utilize American Sign Language. There are also ones that utilize oral language, but I went to work at schools that used American Sign Language as their primary language. And also I worked in as a center-based classroom teacher in Manassas, Virginia in a public school system serving students who are deaf or hard of hearing. So I taught as a teacher for the deaf and hard of hearing for about seven years before coming back for my doctorate in in deaf education. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. And I do know that this is important because uh, like in any area of education, there is a current shortage that's taken place. Uh, And so what does that look like within the ranks of those who are steeped in ASL 
and or educators for those who are deaf and hard of hearing? One of the things I, I often tell people is that the field we're in is very low incidence. So it's going to be deaf, hard of hearing, deaf blind, deaf with multiple disabilities. I mean, it's a very, very niche area, which also means that the people that are interested in it is also very low incidence. And that contributes to general teacher shortage and related service provider shortage, which would be interpreters as well. But then our pool of people at the universities to train people to fill these needs is also very, very small. We're low incidence all around. And I just want to say, you know, we have a need even in like the metro area in Omaha and in Lincoln, but rural Nebraska is really in need as well. That need has increased. And when we do that, then we're also talking about services to our students. And if we have people traveling, we're not giving services to our students at that time during our travel because we shouldn't be Zooming when we're driving. <laughs> so, And another factor kind of compounding the shortage issue is the lack or limited teacher preparation programs out there. So uh, back in the heyday, you know, which was 20, 30 years ago, um, there was almost a deaf education teacher preparation program in every state. And now many of those have closed. I can tell you, as you pointed out, Nebraska, we're fortunate to have two, but in the surrounding states, um, there is not a teacher preparation program in deaf ed in Iowa, in South Dakota, in North Dakota, or in Kansas. And so even if we have interests in these programs, whether it be nationally or, or locally, sometimes interested students, you know, their options become limited, particularly if they're, they want to stay in the state they're in and, and not leave, you know, but there's not a program available that can compound kind of this issue of getting the right people in this niche area um, to serve this important population. Well, and maybe that brings up the point to be made too, that the program UNL uh, is an online graduate program, correct? Yeah, yeah you know, in that respect, we're able to kind of address that area, you know, for individuals who are interested in the field of deaf education, by being online, we can reach a broader audience across the nation. But again, this is at the graduate level. So as, as long as they have a teaching degree, you know, they would qualify uh, to be able to pursue uh, this endorsement in any state. So I have students from all over the nation, and we're able to really reach a broader audience. But that you know, there's a trade-off like anything. So yes, it, it may be online, which really works well for working professionals. It's designed to be part-time, you know, so if we, we do meet, it's via Zoom and they can do a lot of their coursework in the evenings. You know, there's flexibility during the week to complete their coursework and, you know, have interactions and discussion with me or other students in the program. But then an additional requirement is that they become proficient in American Sign Language, which um, if anyone has ever taken a world language, you know, that can be challenging in and of itself, you know, and I would argue it's best to immerse yourself in the environment with other partners to be able to communicate with. And so, you know, that's a big challenge when it comes to an online program is getting them the training they need to develop their ASL skills and to find them communication partners to really help them develop the language skills. 
Well, then, Anne, that makes me wonder a little bit. I, I know so much has changed in terms of the way in which we communicate over the last three years. I mean, right now we're all having this conversation <laughs> online uh, and learning from one another. And so, Darsha, you alluded to it earlier when you referenced Zoom as you were saying that that's uh, an avenue. But uh, it's my understanding there's both pluses and minuses with that kind of experience. Right. You know, due to the pandemic, we did realize we can do a lot more via Zoom than we did before. So as the shortage across the state, we do have some options to Zoom with students, but our preference, because signing in Zoom can sometimes get muddled, especially like right now, I know that the people at the podcast world can't tell, but if I have a filter on, you can't necessarily see my hands very well. So that doesn't work when you're using sign language with a student. If you have a child that is more deaf or hard of hearing or has an interpreter sitting next to him, her, then Zoom um, could possibly be an avenue that we could use. But just getting that education in person and being able to communicate with those students, I think it's just so much easier to actually understand and see the sign via um, an in-person situation. And say for, we've also learned a lot about the use of interpreters, deaf education. Like I remember a lot of our state meetings being on zoom before zoom was even popular. Uh, I don't know if you remember any of that, Anne, but like we were using zoom for years. Uh, so it was like, Oh, zoom, pff, we're, we're fine with that. But I think it's also made people look at, at access, like the meetings that I've been, or I've interpreted, it's, it's a matter of pinning an interpreter there during a meeting or, even something like this, the transcripts aren't available. So deaf people don't have access to these podcasts or something like this. How could we bring deaf people into the conversation? You know, and so I think that that has really opened up a lot of opportunities. There's certainly plenty of challenges K-12, but as I look at, at adults and, and thinking about how do we give access online like Darsha said, it just adds another layer of possibility, but complexity. And that really, you articulated that very well, Julie, because I think, you know, we always have to think of those trade-offs when it comes to introducing a, a different mode of instruction or teaching, you know. So again, with our online program, it, it does offer a lot of opportunity for students, but yet challenges that they have to work through. I would argue, you know, you can certainly learn American Sign Language remotely. You know, many of my students, I direct them to Gallaudet University, which is the only liberal, liberal arts university in the world specifically designed for students who are deaf or hard of hearing and use American Sign Language um, as their primary mode of communication. And, and they have, fortunately, online ASL courses that are of high quality. So many of the students in my program are taking courses from them. Gosh, and this is what I love so much about the podcast is we can have uh, boots on the ground conversations about the real positives and also the very real challenges that come with all the many different hats that folks wear in the education system, uh, like we're having right now. And so uh, I've maybe like use this as an opportunity to press into some of that further and say, could each of you maybe share a, like a personal story from something that you've experienced that would help folks who don't have the same experiences? And this would be an avenue for them to access what this work entails. Yeah, I I actually was one of those that I was fascinated by marginalized communities and language when I was four years old. Whole other story, but it's been something that I've been fascinated with. 
And so I went to UNO. It was the only place I could go for deaf education. I, I knew that I wanted that as my undergrad. I knew I wanted to be involved in the deaf community. So but I worked at the Nebraska School for the Deaf. And when I did my undergrad, I left and I started teaching at the Iowa School for the Deaf. And social sciences, I was I'm mostly social. And I'm really a strong believer and we've got to spend more time on the social emotional learning for deaf hard of hearing. I think that would be a whole other podcast. And so all those years at, at the Iowa School for the Deaf, I was involved with these students in fun social things. Like I I took them to close up in Washington, DC and I had them involved in mock trial and the We the People competition. I mean, we had enough people there. So it was exciting. Um, the way life has unfolded, I've actually taught a few former students, like a few former students, I've, they're now colleagues and things now, but uh, one in particular, Jonathan Sherling, he teaches ASL at UNO, and he was my student in high school at Iowa School for the Deaf. And we take for granted how having access to a complete language from the first few minutes we're born, you know, we take that for granted on how it impacts so many things. And so to see people that have access to that complete language and then the trajectory that it can put them on. So Jonathan was able to do his, he went to Gallaudet University and did ASL linguistics and is teaching alongside me now. Um, so to have deaf adults as part of that conversation and, and being involved in the preparation for both interpreters and teachers. Um, and Jonathan's really good about e explaining what he wishes he would have seen in teachers, what he wants to see in interpreters now, because we, we try to, at least, you know, in a lot of the classes, really try to put that focus on a deaf perspective as much as possible. And so having that has been, it's just been wonderful to have a former student be a colleague. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a, a great segue, kind of piggybacking off of what you said about Jonathan and what he wants to see in deaf educators as well as interpreters. That really is where my transition to higher ed came in because I was teaching uh, at the Scranton School for Deaf and Hard of Hearing. And I was teaching students who were in second and third grade. Um, and I found myself being frustrated with the students, not because they weren't engaged, not because they weren't good students, but because they couldn't communicate effectively. They didn't have a strong first language. So, you know, many of our listeners may or may not know that when it comes to students who are deaf or hard of hearing, you know, there's a couple different options for placement. They can, obviously, the majority of them are attending their local public schools, right, and attending general education classrooms for, for most of their schooling. But there's also schools for the deaf, right, which are specifically designed for students who are deaf or hard of hearing who utilize a specific communication modality. Um, and at the Scranton School for the Deaf, it was American Sign Language. But the reality is many of the students we were receiving were failing out of the public school programs because they, they didn't get quality access to a first language from birth, okay? And so um, it's really hard to learn <laughs> if you don't have a foundation, a strong foundation of language. And so they realized, you know, at some point them and their parents that maybe they would be better off being served by teachers who could communicate directly with them in, a, in, in American Sign Language, as well as peers who could. And, you know, many of these students did do much better at the schools for the deaf um, that I taught at. But 
at the same time, some of them really struggled. And in, in the class, you know, when I was teaching second, third grade, I would have students who, who really struggled with the content because of the gaps in their language, right? Due to their language deprivation that happened early on. And I would get frustrated, right, with the students. And that was really unfair to them, right? Because it wasn't their fault. I felt it was a failure of the system, right? A failure all around of perhaps, you know, a combination of educators who maybe weren't trained as well to help support the families who may not have received as much information, resources, and support that they should have. And at that moment, I realized it's not fair to take this out on the students. And I thought maybe that was a time where I decided maybe my skills, my services would be better served in higher ed, training teachers, training those teachers that Jonathan wished he had, who were better trained, better qualified, um, really promoting the importance to access from birth to a, a language, as well as just the beauty of American Sign Language. And I'm going to say that in the state of Nebraska, we have a 0 to 21 program. We offer services the day that we are notified that there is a child that has a hearing loss or hearing difference. And we get services in there as soon as we can so with that we can try to make sure that we get that language going for those students. I was just going to say when I went to college, I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln I was lucky enough to study under Brenda Schick, who is a CODA, which means she's a child of deaf adults. And her passion for us was to get us in those deaf communities, make sure that we were signing with other deaf students, adults, families, and anytime she could get us signing with anybody else, um, she had us signing constantly and we would shut our voices off during class just to strengthen our signing skills. So that kind of goes back to the Zoom thing where it was great. We were in class in person. You can watch those facial expressions. You can watch the body language where you don't always get it on Zoom because you can't always see the full body and the body shifts. But yeah, so we were intense. Like we, she literally threw us in situations that at that time and at that age, I was uncomfortable but it only grew me to be a better teacher for these students. If I can add one little thing about in Nebraska, especially so many of them, as Ann and Darsha mentioned, they're in their general education settings, which means that oftentimes they're with an interpreter. And one of the things that, that I really enjoy is, is having both teachers and interpreting majors together to be able to highlight some of those similarities and differences. So and again, the interpreting is for education and community. It's not just educational interpreters. But since we're talking about education, one of the classes that I require them all to take is a five credit hour class that is it's language for deaf and hard of hearing. And I have the education majors, the deaf ed majors, and the interpreting majors in that class at the same time. The whole semester, voices off, all in line. And there are some tensions there, usually because they each think they know what the other's having to do, you know? And I'm always like, you're going to be colleagues. You have to work together. You have to learn how to do this. And if we can't do it in this safe environment, how much more difficult it is, you know, in all these other settings where you've got multiple people that are involved in, in all these services, but the, but the importance of having that immersion and that language access, I mean, it just can't, it just cannot be stated enough. 
I promise. Yeah, Anne was shaking her head, so I didn't know she was going to jump in or not. I was good. I, I, well, I was going to say, Julie, I feel like that doesn't come at a major shock. The thought that two adults trying to collaborate on helping out a child, right? <laughs> I think all of us as parents can are familiar with uh, that with the best of intentions and big hearts on behalf of a kid, that it is challenging sometimes. Um, and that it really takes being on the same page for that to be in best service. And so uh, great to hear the advocacy for that. Great hearing the stories from everyone about your respective experiences and to know all that those things are going on right here, right? Uh, whether that's regionally at ISD or obviously in our state. And so I say it every week, but 30 minutes goes really fast. <laughs> and so we're kind of at a point now where maybe we'll kind of do two things at once if we can. And uh, I'd have us maybe just speak one more time to a little bit of that programming that's going on both at UNO and UNL, uh, and maybe a little bit of a call to action worked in there as we try to encourage, uh, and it was mentioned earlier, right? Uh, whether it's students or educators who maybe are looking for a change or have a heart for stepping into these spaces or someone who at some point in time learned ASL and might um, really want to make a difference in becoming an educator, where do they need to go? What do they need to do? We can get to that uh, maybe here as we bring things to a close. Sure. So I'll start. This is Anne. And so just as a reminder, if there's anybody who's interested in graduate deaf education training, UNL offers few options for individuals. And I'm going to start with one that isn't well known, but also, uh, but one that I think could be a, a good fit for anybody who may be working with individuals with sensory disabilities. So that obviously includes students who are deaf or hard of hearing, but also students with visual impairments. We also have a visual impairments program here at UNL, as well as orientation and mo mobility. So I'll put a shout out to those, but we offer a 12 credit graduate certificate in sensory disabilities. So it's not a full blown, you know, master's or endorsement program, but it, it comprises of like four courses related to teaching students who are deaf, both deaf and hard of hearing, and then a course also with students who with visual impairments. And so the graduate certificate, despite its name, doesn't actually certify them <laughs> to teach these students, but it gives them additional training. It's kind of designed to be professional development for whether it be general education teachers, administrators, directors who who want to have more knowledge about this population, right? Because whether they are serving them in their classrooms or overseeing teachers who are serving them, it's important that they have an understanding of their needs and how to best support them. So that's, you know, the grad certificate program. But the majority of students who contact me are interested in either the master's degree program in deaf education and or the the graduate endorsement. And so the master's degree, I kind of explain it as the master's degree program is, is the content, right? At a master's level related to teaching students who are deaf or hard of hearing. But if students want to be certified as a teacher at the deaf and hard of hearing, they have to also take a, some additional courses that comprise the endorsement program. All of the content courses are the same, but the endorsement also requires some practicum experiences. We've talked about the importance of actually, you know, having some experience working with this population, meeting other individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing, getting exposure and immersion in with American Sign Language, because that's an important part of it. And so students 
who are interested in that can contact me. I'd also like to just put a pitch out there. I do currently have some funding available. I recently just received another federal grant. And it actually is related to that topic of interdisciplinary training that Julie and Andrew uh, talked about how, you know, the challenges that practitioners from different disciplines can sometimes have when they're asked to serve on a team together. So when you think of this population, students who are deaf or hard of hearing, there's a lot of different practitioners and teachers who may be working together, including deaf educators, speech language pathologists, audiologists, general education teachers, OTs, PTs. You know, and that's that's a lot of different people with different backgrounds, different knowledge. And so this grant, it's called the MPEP SPADE grant. It's actually focused on interdisciplinary preparation between three of those areas, um, speech language pathology, audiology, and deaf ed, with the goal of addressing some of what was highlighted in our conversation about helping these students um, become effective collaborators with each other. So when they go work out and serve on those teams, they, they can hit the ground running, you know, and be effective in doing so right from the start. Well, thanks for sharing about those uh, great opportunities. Uh, Julie, what would you leave us with? We don't have money for any of you to take classes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No free there. Um, no, I would say that at UNO, again, it, it's undergraduate. And so if, if it's deaf education, and that's what they major in, at least, they're going to have a dual major. And trying to get practicum experiences out there, I would like to have more. Like, it's just really hard because it's such a low incidence population that finding solid practicum experiences is also a challenge. And then I'll also say for, for the interpreting side, it used to be where Interpreters, it was a two-year training program, and I, I call this a preparation program. It's a four-year degree. In order to get your national certification, you have to have a bachelor's degree in order to take those to take those tests. And then Nebraska also has a requirement for an EIPA score for educational interpreter of 4.0 or above, which also contributes to, you know, there's a shortage of interpreters, but I was in plenty of meetings over the years of, uh, but we can't find them who have the 4.0. And I'm like, well, you know, part of me is like, I want the high quality and not, not just think of, oh, we got to put a warm body in there because I get, I get questions all the time from school districts that like, oh, do you have any students who could come in? And I'm like, even if I did, I don't want them there yet. They're not ready. So, so I think we're in this really interesting place of, yeah, we have a shortage, but I don't think we need to be lowering our expectations or requirements because it is a very it's a very highly specialized field and even all the training and all the coursework and all the experiences we give, we all know it's still, once you get there, your first day, you're going to be like, I swear I went to college for five years and I learned nothing, you know, here's day one. So I think that, that that's going to continue being part of the conversation of, yeah, we need more people, but wow, let's not sacrifice quality for quantity. Well, yeah, thank you so much for giving us a little window into these conversations and helping educate us all a little bit about the opportunities that are out there for educators uh, looking to be a part of uh, this community, as you said, uh, that that is not only in the interactions with the students that they get the opportunity to serve, but their families and these institutions that have a longstanding history of being in support of this low incidence disability. 
So uh, as always, I, I like to end the episode just by saying I appreciate your time. I appreciate your advocacy. I appreciate you sharing out and uh, really yeah, grateful for the opportunity to learn from all of you today. And so thanks for the work that you do on behalf of our Nebraska students. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for thank sharing you. Uh, the news. We, we could use all the help we can get. 